It was the day after he actually told me he had relapsed. The next message I got was, dude, I think he's dead. Call 911, I'm on my way. Praying and screaming and whatever, you know, and just trying to get there fast. It was only based on the fact that I just felt him so strong in the car. It was probably 10 paramedics in there. They're working on him for probably a good half hour at least, waiting for a miracle. They called it, they turned the machines off, and they said, we're so sorry, your husband has passed. They actually let me kind of just lie there with the floor with him, like forever. Mama, I got bad news, bad news I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes I've been trying to get a bag to, a bag to I'm just doing what Hello, I listeners. have to Hello listeners, welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery A podcast providing light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them This episode is brought to you by Revolution Recovery Helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment They've been there and they understand. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Memorial Monday here on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. This Monday is a little bit different. Typically, we take the audio submission, and I frame the episode around that. In this case, uh, Leo Anderson is with us, and, and we decided to do an interview style with my co-host, Flora, to, um, I don't know, just get a different take on a Memorial Monday. So, how are you doing today, Flora? Good. Typical lazy Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Welcome back. And Leo, welcome to the show. I, I, I really appreciate you. you coming along. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, as we discussed it, before we started recording, it's it's the thing about recovery and all of those things is it's really easy to just kind of get your story started and we'll, you know, we'll take some notes and we'll interrupt you as much as we want, I guess, and uh, we'll see how things go. So why don't you just start from the beginning and go from there sure yeah um so my story i guess is uh i'm i'm here to talk about my husband sean um he passed away in august 2020 of an overdose um sean anderson he was 36 so far too young (laughs) um and had gone through actually 11 years of sobriety no hiccups no problems um and then yeah with covid and everything had his relapse um has two older sisters really cool family from south africa uh we're, oh, wow we just yeah. we just did an interview with i know i noticed africa. that actually yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they were from uh Joburg there and um moved here and yeah so we met when i was 19 and i went sober with him uh, i've never struggled i've never had a, a substance abuse problem myself um but uh, yeah, i just decided to go sober with him and um we were together, yeah, those 11 years. And, uh, yeah. So tell us about Sean. Who was, who was he as a husband? As a oh, he was awesome. <laughs> he was, yeah. um, he was just a big kid, you know, he was just really fun. Um, so empathetic, very, very caring person, super soft heart. Um, especially with people in recovery that had a similar story to him. He was, uh, just, very giving of his time and energy and really invested in each individual person he encountered. Um, he had a framing business and so he tried to hire people that were either in recovery or, um, 
trying to be in recovery, uh, yeah. still struggling. So, you know, in construction, it's, it's hard to find a sober environment, you know, and a sunny day, <laughs> they want to all have a, have a beer after work and everything. And, no and he personally really struggled with that. So when he built his business, that was really important to him was to have that safe space for people. And then kind of also gave, uh, some, some mentorship to them through that, which was really cool. And I think very fulfilling for him. Um, he was a rapper and a uh, music producer. So we had a, a home studio that he basically lived in. <laughs> that was our, okay. our second bedroom was always a studio. And, um, he just, uh, figured out how to soundproof everything and everything like that. So, um, he spent a lot of time in there. That was kind of his battleground. Uh, and that's where he kind of worked out a lot of his shit, you know, it's just, uh, that's how he talked to God. That's how he worked out his recovery. And he made a lot of music about um, exactly that. So uh, a lot of people in recovery have been listening to that and take that to heart and uh, learn from it and relate to it. And so he met some cool people doing that. Um, he's an awesome golfer. Oh my gosh. He was, he did the VG uh, Vancouver golf tour VGT. Um, okay. He was uh, a member in, in Meadow Gardens there and just a super, super cool guy. Very fun. Uh, very quiet too. Uh, he didn't really, you know, if you're kind of in a room full of people, he's just uh, kind of the observer, you know, kind of see uh, who everybody yeah. is. And eventually, you know, someone would kind of find him and he'd get off in, in a corner somewhere having this really deep conversation with someone. And you're like, where, where's Sean? You know, and he didn't really need like big crowds or anything. He hated being in front of a crowd. Like anytime he was speaking at like a cake or something, you know, he was just like, I don't want to go talk. Oh my God. And he was so good at it though. That's the thing. Like he was so good well, at it. Just gonna say, it. I mean, if he's a rapper, he's, yeah. so he, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't up on yeah. stage rapping. He was it was all about the studio. For him, you know, he had lots yeah. of uh, he had lots of opportunity to do that, and he just really felt like it's not about me. It's about um, who the music's for, and I just kind of want to fly under the radar and do my thing. So he didn't put wow. a ton yeah. of stuff online. He didn't uh, sell his CDs. He always gave them out free when it was CDs. <laughs> um, <laughs> eventually, he was like on SoundCloud and stuff, and he would just share his stuff free because to him it was just important to just get the message out so um so that speaks to who he was i mean just absolutely learning more as you speak yeah. but i think that, that certainly mm -hmm. says a lot right there yeah 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 he, yeah he didn't uh didn't really thrive on getting attention or anything like that you know he just kind of wanted to be left alone and do his thing and if he could help okay. someone then okay. that was that was his jam you know how'd you be I was just going to ask you. <laughs> I'm so curious. <laughs> um, it, was, it was pretty funny, actually. Uh, I, was, um, I was in theater school at Capilano University here in North End. And uh, over the summer, I got a job at his sister's hair salon. Um, so I was managing that. And he was actually coming in to get his hair cut before going into treatment. <laughs> so oh, he had, okay. uh, oh, yeah, wow. he'd gotten a spot at... Uh, together we can and yeah. um he uh i mean he'd been in out of treatment at that point i think seven or eight times uh he was 24 at the time when i met him and okay. so he was going in again and she had this habit his sister of you know moving family around if other clients came in and you know because she was doing family haircuts free so she had me call him i think four times that day to move his appointment around and he, by the end of it he was so annoyed he actually hung up on me and i hung up and i was like well he's fucking rude what the hell like, it's not my fault she's moving you around bro like well, and uh, and so I was not really too impressed with his, his phone manner there, but, um, he comes in and I just remember it was like, a, it was, 
he opens the door and I swear there was just this like, ah, you know, it's like theme of light. And it was just like, who is this dude? Like, and it was kind of like, I I felt like I recognized him. It was really weird. I I felt like I'd met him before and I was trying to place for the longest time. Like, where have I met this guy? I know him. And about a year later, he told me that that's actually what he was thinking in that moment too. So it was kind of weird, but, um, you know, I was, I was in the back and his sister's mixing some hair color and I'm like, your brother's really cute. And she's like, oh shit, he just said that about you. And I'm like, oh God, no. Okay. (laughs) I wouldn't have said anything. (laughs) uh, Smooth as he was, you know, the next day when he went into treatment, she came in to work and he had made a CD for me. And so she and I were always the first ones in. Okay, hold on. I made a CD, like like a mixtape, like a C, like a of mix his CD music, tape. right? It, yeah. No shit. Oh, eh? of his, his, oh, his music. Wow. His music. Eh? Yeah. And, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super smooth. I was like, all right. And um, so we were playing it when it was just the two of us in the salon, and uh, I didn't actually realize he had made it for me. I thought she was just playing me his music, and um, so she gives it to me at the end. And you know, he had gone into treatment, so he was on restrictions. He couldn't have contact uh, at that point. So it was really cool to just hear um, not only his voice, but his story and hear about him through his music. So I had those like 12 songs on repeat, you know, and just like getting to know this guy. And by the time we actually got to talk on the phone, it was like I'd known him forever. It was the coolest thing. No kidding, eh? Um, So it was just easy, easy, easy talking to him. And uh, yeah, I just took off really quick from there. We moved in after... Not long at all. <laughs> Way too soon. All right. Well, um, there, there's something yeah. about, um, you know, no relationships for a year. Did, did anybody give you guys right? a hard time about that? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And he, yeah. well, he left treatment way too soon as well. I was uh, totally new to that whole scene, so I didn't really know what yeah. was a good time in treatment or not. Um, so about a mm-hmm. month later, he left, and uh, we ended up moving in together pretty quickly after that. And he ended up relapsing about four months in, and... Um, I actually was always very grateful for that experience because it was a pretty quick turnaround for him after that. So okay. that was that was great. Uh, but for me, it was nice to kind of realize looking back um, what the triggers were, what was leading up to that relapse, um, you know, just okay. things that I didn't know to look for. What the signs um, are. How could you exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just even like the things he would start talking about as he approached, you know, that danger yeah, zone yeah. and all those things. Can, so, can I ask what the drug of choice was? Uh, for him, it was alcohol and then Coke. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Well, continue. You were you were going into something good. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You. He uh, so he had his relapse and again went into uh, no actually he he couldn't get a bed together. We can at that point, so he went to the island for a bit. And um, after that, he uh, once we were back together and he was back here and had his job back and everything. Um, he called me at. Uh, no, you know what? This is before we were we were living together again. This is when he was on the island. Um, and he called me at 2 or 3 in the morning. And he sounded so weird. And <laughs> I was just like, what's going on? Like, did you, like, are you okay? Like, did you leave the house or something? And he's like, no, I just, I was lying here wide awake. And I just felt like just this presence in the room. And um, it, I just felt like I was being pushed down and something was like pulled out of me. And I was like, okay, like, <laughs> okay, that's kind of interesting. All right. But he was so shook about this and that experience, um, he, for him, it was, it was God. 
and he had um, a really strong faith. He was never like a church guy. He didn't really get involved, but um, one-on-one with God was a big thing for him. That's what a lot of his music is about too. And so for him, that was like, I feel like God pulled something out of me and I feel like I'm going to be okay. And um, he did, like I said, had for 11 years, no relapses after that. Um, And he never actually ended up being in any groups or anything. He was always very, uh, um, not shy to go. He was very um, afraid to get attached to people in recovery because uh, he'd lost a lot of people, you know, um, or they, they relapse and then you lose them that way, you know. So he was just very, um, he didn't want to get involved for that reason, but had a hard time connecting with other people outside of those circles because they couldn't relate to his story. So he became a bit of a loner. You know, and like I said, lived in his studio and and then golf certainly was a, an outlet for him and, and being able to speak to, to guys at work and stuff. But, uh, okay. yeah. I'll yeah. touch on something real quick. And, mm-hmm. and I, I tend to do this. Remember I said I was going to interrupt when I wanted and I tend to I'll do go that. for it. So, um, the call at 2 o'clock in the morning thing. So, yeah. for me, being in recovery, I have to be... Less so now because I am who I am and I work the way, like I work an insane amount of hours, you know, six days a week show, right? But (laughs) um, especially in the early days, hyper aware of never doing that. I could never call anybody. I could never, Mm -hmm. I remember sending emails to people in my life, but with Gmail, you can schedule that send. So I would, I would schedule it for, for nine in the morning or something, even though I'm writing it at three in the morning, Mm -hmm. because the moment that phone rings, that text goes off, email comes in, Chris has relapsed. Right. Mm. So that, like, that, that's, that's the way that works. Right. So you have to be like, so aware of that. So when you were saying that, I was like, oh, geez. Right. Right. This must be, and you, at the time, you must have thought or wondered, especially because he was talking, you know, something that you weren't really familiar with. Right. So yeah. Uh, is that, is that true or? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I kind of, my first thought was just panic mode that he had probably left um, uh, and was calling yeah. to, you know, try to find somewhere to go. Um, that was my immediate thought because he was so quiet and so shook and couldn't really like he got, I I picked up the phone and he was just kind of, um, I think stunned, I guess. Um, so he didn't really find words right away. And it was kind of like, are you okay? Like, tell me if you're okay. Um, and then he's like, no, no, I'm good. Like, this was the craziest thing I just experienced. (laughs) So it was like, oh, okay. The relief. And then yeah, you hear okay. this like crazy weird experience he had and it's like, <laughs> okay, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with yeah. that right now, but it was, it okay. stuck with me for sure. Like I, I think about that all the time when, when I got that call here. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. So he comes out of rehab that time uh, or treatment. I don't like calling it rehab. He comes out of mm-hmm. treatment at that time. Now at this point, you're becoming familiar with the recovery, we'll call it a process, yep. right? I started getting um, involved at that point and, and meeting with okay, other that's people where I'm going with that, right? Yeah. yeah. So I wonder about that. And I have never met anybody in the recovery community that wasn't at some point suffering an addiction. So mm-hmm. you're kind of a unique, you know, being that way, is, at least as far as my experiences go. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that? Like, how, how does that, how does that play out? I mean, tell me something about that, that, I'm not even sure what question I'm asking because it's such an outside the box thing. For me. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think for me, um, you know, once, uh, like I said, everything happened very quick for Sean and I. So we knew pretty much right away um, that we were it, you know. And so it wasn't yeah. that difficult for me to commit to the sobriety thing and to commit to his recovery with him. Um, 
so for me, it was like, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to, you know, get involved and learn more about it and, and see how I can support him. Uh, also knowing I have extreme enabler tendencies, which I didn't know at the time, but I had a, you know, a feeling that certain things were probably not helpful. Um, so from my own journey through it and realizing that, um, it is a unique situation, uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to get more involved. And what I found pretty quickly, um, cause Sean said this all the time that people in recovery, especially with that relationship rule and everything too, um, you know, when, when you go into treatment, for him, at least he was talking about, you know, all the, all the big questions of what does this look like? This is a lifelong thing. And then, you know, you do have to come back to that one day at a time, like focus on one day at a time. But, uh, you know, his big thing was always like, you're never going to meet someone that's going to want to be sober with you. You're never going to, you know, have this and this and this and this. And, um, so for me, that was kind of an opportunity, I guess, to connect with people in treatment and go, Hey, you know, there are plenty of people out there who don't give a fuck if they ever drink again, if they ever, you know, go party, they just care about you and they have something with you and a connection with you. And it's worth it to commit to that same lifestyle to be with that person or to support that person. And so the conversations I ended up having with people in treatment around that, um, it surprised me all the time how many of those conversations I would have because I didn't realize that that wasn't just Sean's perspective. That was a lot of people's fears about moving forward, being sober and, you know, thinking that they can't maintain that lifestyle forever. Um, but you know, you, you can absolutely have sober people in your life that, that have never struggled with substances, but just want to do it with you, you know? So for me, it just was, um, cool to see purpose in it beyond our relationship and to be able to talk to other people in it and, and I think just the fact that someone who doesn't relate to their exact background and, and their story to still feel connected to them yeah. in some way, you know. Right. So in the recovery community, there's call them zealots, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's some people that are, you know, this way or no way, right? And I hate to, I would never call anybody out on that, but <laughs> did you feel any pushback from that? at all I, I mean you had to have with the relationship in the first place or he had to have at least on some levels right but did it was there ever anybody kind of with this that's an outsider mindset or were, was everybody mm-hmm. pretty accepting of you being around for the most part accepting um because they also didn't realize right away that i didn't have that right. background yeah. until we got yeah. into more conversation um but there were some people that you can kind of feel they just automatically assume you're not going to relate to them and you're like, what are you doing here? Um, but you know, you just kind of take your time with people and get to know them. And it, for me, it was never, you yes, I wanted to learn and I wanted to, um, and be part of that for sure. But it, for me, it was more about like getting to know the people that were in treatment, the people that were yeah. like Sean, um, and see if we could like build a community there. So I think once like the, the certain people I'm thinking of, there's a couple that come to mind, um, very standoffish (laughs) at first, but once they kind of realize like, I'm genuinely interested in you, I genuinely want to hear your story. I genuinely think that you can do this. Um, the more that you kind of got talking like that, I think it just became more natural and they realized like, we're just people <laughs> with different yeah. stories we all have our shit you know yeah, yeah so, right at the end of the day yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it 
it's funny because um, we we call you guys muggles, right? So yeah. all the people that are living outside, right? The, the Harry Potter episode, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, normies. I, I just, I like muggles. I come up with it yeah. in the motel room one day when we're all sitting around talking about who got stabbed, shot, and arrested, and busted, and robbed. And I, can you imagine what the muggles think of this shit, right? They're all sitting right. around talking about Karen and accounting and their lawn. Right? Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> How is this an average conversation, you guys? This is fucked up. So it, it put everything in perspective for me that day. It was, it was probably the beginning of a transformation of mine, but, mm. um, for us, uh, when, when we refer to muggles in, in things like the Memorial Monday, they are about that. They're, they're about reaching people who aren't inside the lifestyle, who, who don't know what's going on and letting them know that the people we lose are so much more than a statistic or how they oh, pass. Yeah. You know, so you've heard me say or, or read me say a few times by now, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you're a great example of that. We have, um, we have Scott from the No New Friends podcast who comes on every Thursday. Mm-hmm. He is the mugglest of the muggles, I call him. Right? Yeah. Like they, have ice, <laughs> they have ice cream socials and golf cart parades. And right. like this is shit going on in his neighborhood in Florida right now, right? Like, you know, so right? I, I, there was a, what was it, a sleepover for his daughter's birthday. And they, there was a company that comes on and puts on the sleepover. Right. So I was just like, I'm listening to him going, Oh my God, man. Right. Like you do know that I like, I was actually homeless and like, 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 yeah, man, like how far out of, you know, reality this sounds for me, but he's gotten very passionate about the show as well. So he's got, he's kind of, you know, I, I call him my, uh, my case in point or whatever. There's a few names I call him. Trust me. There's a few names I call him, but, uh, he's, uh, you're another one of those, and I really like that. I, I think that that's that's awesome that that you got <laughs> passionate about the cause, you know. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's great. And now for a quick public service announcement: grief isn't limited to the loss of a loved one. For all the support you need, TWC offers a grief and loss support and education group, and it's offered free of charge. Learn more at twcrecoverylife.org. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate, uh, also known as the Captain from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, also known as Naloxone. These kits have saved so many lives over the years, uh, I can attest for that. Being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use, can keep them in your glove box or in a cupboard in your home, and you never know when somebody's going to need them. If you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com, throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, Again, email ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now. Uh, we'll go back to the show. Thanks for listening. I was just hoping to hear more about the relationship and during okay, COVID. Well, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me a chance to. <laughs> So edit that, or maybe you don't edit it out this time. Or something, like, really? Yeah. yeah can I can I mute his mic instead of my own? <laughs> and, and please do for Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not even sure where where you sort of left off there now.
Where were you at with your story? Um, in the rooms, I guess now you're, you're kind of in the, well, not really in the rooms. You're in the recovery community with him. Yeah. And you know, interestingly, I actually was way more involved than him because again, he was very, uh, very trigger shy on that and getting connected. Whereas for me, I was like, he doesn't connect with anybody else. So this is, you know, this would be his people. Right. So, and he can, he can make a difference there, which, you know, that's what he was about. So, um, I ended up, uh, gosh, house of hope, a little bit of Wagner Hills together. We can, um, some connections at last door, but obviously that's a a men's uh, treatment center, but, uh, Westie house, like just little connections here and there where I would, um, volunteer or do, um, uh, what was it called? There's like a 12 step program that was like faith based. Uh, so there was one of those that I was leading. Okay. Cannot remember the, the name of it now. You were um, leading these programs? Yeah. Uh, I was leading that particular one. So they give you like a group of people that you're kind of um, coaching through the step work. And so they really? actually have like, they have a video of it and the, the pastor in that one would speak about his own recovery and everything. And then they'd have like worksheets and stuff after. So you still do your inventory okay. and all of that stuff. So I was yeah. just kind of like guiding them through like the format, essentially of the. That is absolutely. But a this wasn't a background that that you had had previously. No, not at all. No, at, at okay. that point. Um, so I mean, kind of off track a little bit. I had done like the theater career thing. I ended up getting injured, couldn't dance anymore, and so I ended up getting involved with charity work. And um, so that kind of naturally led into my interest in recovery, where I did most of that time with that demographic. Um, so lots of those little programs, um, doing lots of music with them and things like that, uh, just wherever kind of help was needed. Um, to me, it didn't really matter kind of what the job was or what I was asked to do. It was just for the purpose, right? So, um, I ended up actually at one point tutoring a girl that was in treatment. She was in university and really struggling with, um, anxiety and things and, and uh, had a hard time studying. So, you know, that, that was one of my random things that I did at House of Hope was I just tutored her uh, twice a week, you know, so things like that. And of course, you have a lot of um, personal conversations when you're doing things like that, and you get to kind of dive into everybody's recovery process. So, uh, yeah, so coming back to Sean, I mean, um, he was more connected with people, I would say, online and through music. Um and then again, like through work. Uh, so I was always, that was kind of one of the struggles was I was always kind of trying to, um, get him to come with me to things, you know, get him out of his shell a little bit because he was so, uh, he was total loner. Um, and then that as a partner, uh, you know, if I was out with a friend, I would be constantly worried what, how he's doing at home. You know, is he having anxiety right now? Does he need support? Um, so you actually don't really end up enjoying your time out very much because you're worried about right. your, your person, right? And and you know that he's probably struggling with something because it was a daily battle for him. It was a, a daily tough battle for him. So you kind of, and that was, like I say, one of my enabling things for sure, where I would kind of just... Um, keep him comfortable and keep him safe and avoid things that would make him uh, feel upset or sad or angry, you know, and it's not that there was a constant fear of him relapsing because he was pretty solid. Um, But it was more so just, I didn't want him in that headspace. I didn't want him to feel alone. Uh, You know, so it, that's not a healthy way to be. (laughs) So I had to learn some of my own strategies there on how to let some things go and, and let him, be there for himself and, and learn to do that. Um, okay. 
but uh, you know, we were we were together constantly. It was two peas in a pod, and we did had very very small circle. Our wedding, I think, well, our wedding was in a living room. Actually, we just we were we were planning a <laughs> wedding, and because I was in theater at the time we got married, you know, every um, dress fitting and photo shoots and whatever just felt like another production I was in. So it was like this doesn't feel like us. And I knew he'd be up there in front of people freaking out because again, he didn't like to be center of attention. So I said, fuck it, let's just, let's just get married tomorrow. Like, let's just do it. So we called up the pastor and we literally got married in their living room with just his family and a couple of friends and, um, wouldn't change a thing about it. Honestly, you know, that was, that was how we did things. That was our vibe. And, and he was comfortable. I was comfortable. We, the whole, what actually really freaked me out was like the not seeing each other on the wedding day until, you know, the bride comes out. It was like, this is fucking weird. Like I, I've never spent a day away from you. Like, this is, <laughs> I don't like that. It doesn't feel like us, you know? So we were just like walked in together, got married and walked out, you know, had dinner and went yeah. home and, and then realized okay. we forgot our keys in his parents' car. So we couldn't get in <laughs> to get our lawn <laughs> A wedding night um, in the garden shed, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Spare us the details. Um, Spare us the details. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we actually yeah. we didn't end up having a honeymoon or anything um, until mm-hmm. like years later, and uh, he one of I think the bigger, uh, I guess, um, what's the word? I guess his first real stumble in his recovery. Uh, he ended up breaking his back at work. So oh, we were actually, oh, wow. a, yeah, we were a week away from finally doing that honeymoon and, uh, he fell off a townhouse roof, um, fell on some, uh, compact sand, which actually they told me he's probably saved his life. He was about three feet away from rebar sticking out of the ground that would have just gone oh, right through God. him. Oh, wow. And nobody saw him fall. So he actually had to kind of crawl his way over, uh, not knowing his T12 vertebrae was, uh, and it was basically broken completely. Um, so he gets to the hospital there, not telling me anything. I remember the WCB guy calling me cause I was the contact for his business and he didn't realize I was his mm-hmm. wife. So this guy's just talking about this fatality and da 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 da. And I'm like, um, Jesus. Hey, I, th- <laughs> I think he's st- like, he's in, you know, trauma center, but like, I think he's alive. Like I haven't told me otherwise. And he's like, Oh, what? Really? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, oh, you're at the hospital. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm his wife. He's like, oh, and he just goes quiet. He's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I wouldn't have talked like that if, if I realized that. I was like, uh, no, but wow. he's, he's alive. And he's like, well, shit, he shouldn't be. He really shouldn't be. I don't think you realize how lucky he is. And there were actually several injuries like that throughout his career. But, um, the back was a big wow. one because, uh, of course, you know, then being home, um, with that, yeah racing mind, his ADHD, the anxiety and everything. Um, so of course he dove into music, but you know, when you're in that mindset, um, and the world's moving on without you and you know, you're just stuck at home with your cat. Uh, it was so depressing for him, of course, and he couldn't take anything for pain really. And just had to kind of power through and couldn't take anything for pain because because of the addict. Yeah, history. they they gave him a lot, and he it was actually him that was like, I I can't take any of this. So he had this awesome doctor in West Van that's known him since he was like twelve, and he gave him some some milder things, but of course they didn't do much for a broken back, right? So, oh, um, geez, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was oh. going going through it there for sure. I do believe that he had maybe some kind of brain injury after that because he was never quite 
the same. Um, okay. So that that's my suspicion. I'm not sure, but uh, how, how do you mean not quite the same? Yeah. How so? Um, <clears throat> that like playful little kid that you know that kind of died off a fair bit unless he was around his nieces and nephews and it came right back out but uh he was much more just like very heavy very um uh found it harder to process things for sure um didn't have conversations as easily um became even more things that (laughs) Are these things that everybody noticed or that you picked up on because of your, you know, because you knew him so well and you're so close to him? I think, uh, I think it was probably things that I picked up on, but there were times, you know, he would start missing like family birthdays and things and his family was everything. I mean, that's, um, those were his only people really in his very small circle. And I remember yeah. we were, um, sitting at a lake for one of the birthday like barbecues and he chose not to come. And I said, well, you know, I, I still got to go. Like I can't not show up. I'll, I'll go for both of us and you have a chill day. And his sister was so pissed that he didn't come because, you know, obviously she didn't understand what he was going through. Um, she was just like, you know, he doesn't care. Why is he not here? Like you showed up. Why doesn't he come for his own fucking family? And I'm like, well, you got to realize like he's, he wants to be here. <laughs> like he'd way rather be here yeah. than sit cooped up at home feeling yeah, depressed right. and away from everybody missing things. Um, That's it, right? you yeah. know, of course, like he would, w- he would way rather be here. That's the whole thing about addiction being a choice and using being a choice. It's nobody chooses addiction. Nobody chooses right. that, you know, you make no. some decisions. Would, right? yeah. Exactly. You yeah. know, and, and that's, yeah. that was the big thing that, um, with that post that you shared of mine on Facebook there that I was, um, talking about a little bit in there, you know, I, I, when he relapsed at the end during COVID here, um, you know, you see this really awesome, genuine, kind, beautiful person. Uh, his integrity was just unmatched, like, a, and just, he, he was, yeah, he was just awesome. And you just saw him turn into this completely different, just co- total opposite, like mean, angry um, belligerent, just horrible in a very short amount of time. And, um, if he wasn't honestly that amazing person I knew, it would have been a lot harder for me to do the tough love thing and force him into treatment and, you know, take some things away essentially. Cause at my mind registered, um, he, he relapsed at the end of October, uh, 2019. He went into treatment February, 2020, and that whole journey to get him to treatment, I just, it clicked that I'm not dealing with my husband right now. I'm dealing with this, this addict that's taken him over and he's not that's right. strong yeah. enough right now to beat this thing. And, um, I want to help my husband. I have no interest in talking to this other, whatever this is. Yeah. I have no interest right. in that person. Right. I don't want them in my house. I don't want anything to do with that. And I am so angry at that other person for taking my husband away. So my mind just kind of went, I will fight for my husband though. So, um, you know, for me, once I, again, once I got that purpose of helping him with this monster part that we were both not wanting in our lives, um, then it was like, you know, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. And, and, uh, you know, it came really, once I found a bed for him in a treatment center, um, it was really, uh, it, it breaks your heart to have to do it. It really does. No matter how you look at it or who you think you're talking to, it, it 
breaks your heart to say that if you don't take this bed today, you don't have a wife, you don't have a house, you don't have a business, you don't have your pets, you don't have your family, you don't have your truck, you have nothing. So you're packing a bag, whether you're going on the street or into treatment, but I'll drive you to treatment. I'll take you there. I will be there. I will, you know, walk with you through it, but it's your choice at the end of the day. Um, But coming home is not an option. And, you know, and then you just have your, your breakdown after. (laughs) I was just going to say, it must've been so hard to do. It's it's impossible. It's just, you have to go into just this mode, you know, you just have to kind of, so we have um, somebody who's part of the, the team here now, just awesome. Uh, Lisa just recently started calling her Lisa 101. She is, um, uh, she's, she's a, the sister of somebody who suffers. Um, but everything you just said, you just reminded me so much of, of her. She, she was a, an oil field engineer who quit her job to become a psychiatrist to understand her brother's struggle. Right. If you can imagine, you know, those big steps, but there's a quote from her that, that I like to share often. And that's why I bring it up right now. And it just, I, I just want to share it with you as, as we're recording here, because it's, it's fucking perfect to what you were just speaking about. So yeah. Check this out. yeah. I feel like whether, you know, we reframe that brother, mother, sister, child, whatever, that to me is magic. And I would, I would be with my brother and he would be in, you know, in the bathroom using, nodding off on the couch, whatever it might be. And I would literally look at him. And that's, that, that was the thought I would have. My brother is in there. And I like, when I would fight for my brother, it was fighting to pull my brother out, you know? And I felt like he was encased in this monster, but I knew he was in there. And I think people don't think about that sometimes. I think that gets forgotten. And I feel like if you can look at your loved one in addiction and see that they are still in there, I think that that is what will drive the love model. Well said. As she was saying that there, I kind of realized like the, I guess the seeds were planted for that to happen uh, for me, that mindset shift uh, when he first relapsed four months into our relationship, because I remember um, at one point, again, me being very new to it at the time, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know if he could just pull himself together or whatever. So we were trying to find him treatment. I reached out to a guy named Stacy at Together We Can, uh, see oh, if he Stacey, could get a bed. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he'll be sponsoring this episode actually. <laughs> oh, awesome. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We yeah. were literally like at the time where we lived, we were like a block away from the house that Sean ended up going to in 2020. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, okay. so yeah. I was trying to get him in there at the time in, in 2008 and that's when he ended up on the Island. But anyway, when, when he was in the middle of it, um, and I was trying to talk him into going there. Um, again, that that kind of other side was already there and that, that tyrant was already the one talking to me. And there was this moment for like 10, 15 seconds when I just saw Sean's eyes change and it was him again for just so brief. And he just broke down on the bed and he just like, he had his head kind of like in his hands and he said, he starts actually crying, which I've only seen him do twice in 12 years. Um, he started crying and he, he looked at me and he goes, why do you love me? Nobody loves me. And, um, as this, as you just played that quote, I remember that because as soon as I saw his eyes change like that, I got this image in my head and I'm a very visual person. Um, so for me, like images just kind of stay there sometimes. 
uh, I got this image of uh, basically his body as like this black silhouette. And um, in one of his little feet was a smaller version of that in white. And it just kind of communicated in my brain that there's this, he's still in there. Like she just said about her brother, he's still in there, but he's so small right now. He can't, he can't be in, in control of this right now. This other thing is in control. And that visual stuck with me the entire time I've, I've known him and I've always kind of hung on to that. And, um, yeah, when you just played that, I just thought that's actually probably where that came into play later in, in 2020 when yeah. it, you know, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was reminded yeah. of that for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome that you were able to see into that. So it's cool when that happens so, when you just kind of get that flash yeah. in your head, you know, you're like, where'd that come from? But yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. take it. Well, no yeah. kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So he went back into treatment. What happens from there? Uh, in, in 2020, like yeah. this last, yeah. Uh, so he went back into treatment. It was, um, I won't name it, but it wasn't a very good program. It was more of like a, uh, what's it called? Um, they, it was basically a, b- a bunch of people waiting for trial. Um, so it was kind of like oh, a, okay. a kind of a halfway oh, wow. house kind of thing. So there really was no program. Um, there was no uh, counseling or anything. Um, actually, the staff left over the weekends. So Sean would be texting me like, um, this is the worst time to leave a house full of us yeah. like you know no kidding right so, <laughs> so being kind of you know the he was just a natural leader so you know like i said he owned his business and stuff and he you know he immediately was um setting up chore schedules and he was driving people to church meetings and like arranging oh, like wow. group sessions running the program and, <laughs> absolutely right so he had like little groups That's going awesome. little men's groups <laughs> talking awesome. and you know because he'd, he'd been through it before right so he was he was kind of just like rounding everybody up and and uh you know a lot of the grocery donations were expired so like he asked me if i could grab some groceries so he could cook for everybody he was a really good cook you know so just really embraced um getting his life back on track, you know, and, and very quickly was, uh, you know, it was, I think within the first week I started seeing that already because when I dropped him off, he asked if we could do another loop in the car, you know, he wasn't ready to go in. And I was like, absolutely. And, um, you know, as I'm dropping him off, he's like, do I still actually have a chance with you? And I said, well, I said, this guy doesn't, but let's see who comes out of treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm absolutely interested in that one. You know, um, I want my husband back. Shit. Like, obviously. Um, but right now, you know, no, I have to, I have to have that boundary. Um, and I have healing to do because those four or five months were, uh, you know, that's, yeah, you have your own recovery, I guess, as a, as a spouse. Right. So, um, so he goes in and immediately he just embraces it and, uh, realized pretty quickly though, that he wasn't going to learn uh, the tools he needed there. And then that's actually when he went back to together, we can, um, and he just, Oh my God, he thrived. Like he was making friends. He was building this group. He was doing music with new guys in there. There's a guy I still talk to that him, they were roommates and they were just recording. He was like, can you bring my Mac? Can you bring my, can you bring my, that? I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm going to work and then I got to go pay your guys and run your business. And now I'm going to come and drop off all your, all your stuff. Hey, but and, hey, when it's when they're in recovery, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you'll move, you'll like move that, mountains, yeah. right? You're just, you're mm-hmm. just so happy that they're in there and anything that helps, you're just like, I mean, I don't need sleep at all. You know, I'm just, yeah. I'll run around yeah. all day and do, do that shit, you know? And, yeah. um, I will say as a, as a partner of someone in there, um, it, you do, 
I've heard this from other people, so I don't think I'm alone in this, but you know, he'd call and he'd share like what he learned that day and the cool courses he's doing and even things like nutrition, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff, like yeah. not necessarily just specific to recovery. And I started getting a little, uh, I guess, resentful, um, because I, I was really happy that this was happening for him, but I still had a lot of anger about our life being derailed like this and almost losing him yeah. a number of times in the relapse. And, um, and, you know, here I am, like I said, running around handling his business and having my own job. And we were, you know, I had to fix up our, our home because a lot of things had been broken and I was finding beer bottles everywhere. And that's upsetting, right? Uh, it reminds you of those, yeah. those four or five months and what you'd just gone through that you haven't processed because the whole journey was about just getting him to treatment. So you don't get to focus on yourself yeah. and, and keeping yourself in check. And uh, so, you know, you get a little um, frustrated that, oh, he gets to take this time out and learn all these cool things and get better. I don't get a break. I don't get to do that. You know, yeah. I have to keep yeah. our life back yeah. together out here and support him. And, you know, I think sometimes I probably uh, let that show on our calls a little bit. And, um, you know. It, How do you handle it, that in the moment? You know, it, he was, like I said, very compassionate person. And he totally understood where I was coming from. It was frustrating for him to hear it because, um of course, what he was going through and dealing with and, and just trying to get back on his feet. I don't think he realized how much it affected me when he relapsed. Um, yeah. And he did, as he was doing the different courses and learning how to communicate better and things like that, he did start to see that more and, um, and started actually expressing his gratitude and, and apologizing for things that you know, I didn't need, I didn't need him to apologize again. To me, it wasn't his actions. It was, you know, that addict yeah. taking over, right. but it was nice to hear for sure that he yeah. was realizing, you know, where he can get some peace and, and yeah, no restore some of our stuff. It, um, for me, that, that was a pivotal moment in, in my life where I decided to turn my stories into thank yous and I just stopped mm. saying sorry. Yeah. Like I said, you don't need to hear the story. You've heard it. Story, once, yeah. One good, sincere story, and we're done. Right? Yeah, like you're, you you're already changing yeah. the behavior. Right? You're already so, helping, you yeah, know, by doing that. Exactly, so, right? Yeah. So, so instead of, sorry, I fucked up, how about thank you for giving me another shot? Yeah. Right? And it and what that does in, intrinsically for yourself is yes. massive, right? For, Absolutely. For somebody that's in recovery, right? So Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I've yeah. said so. in the past, too, that I didn't think that I needed a sorry, but when I got it, wow, mm -hmm. it sure made me feel a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> it just it just does. Because you know, to me, it's not the 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 apology. You know, it's the fact that they were thoughtful enough to consider that maybe you were affected by something. They exactly. Did, you know. Exactly. So yeah. you're being considered. You're you're you know part of their thought process and yeah. You know that. that What's does up? Feel good. So some some history for you here, Leo. Mm -hmm. um, Flora is actually the beginnings of our Family Friday episodes. Uh, it all mm. starts with her. Mm -hmm. Um, she came on and I'm scrolling as we're talking here, trying to, I was going to trying to get to it first, but I, <laughs> I was going to try and make this all sound really smooth and remember the episode. Do you remember your episode? Flora? I, I don't remember the number. <laughs> no? okay. remember no, the number. I don't remember the number. No. Yeah. No. Oh, there we are. There we are. So, okay. Here's actually funny, not funny, funny, ha, funny, peculiar, not funny. haha. Ha. So in episode 53, Flora came on to do a memorial piece about her brother, Memorial mm. Monday. That was that was her introduction to the show. Right. Um, episode fifty four, she spoke about her lived experience being married to somebody who was a public figure figure and had, you know addiction had taken him and kind mm. of 
it's a hell of a story for for anybody that's just tuning into the show now. Those those two episodes are they're a couple of my favorites. They really are. But we hadn't even considered uh, that kind of a theme day, like a weekly feature about people that are spouses and partners or you know loved ones of, of people who suffer. And um, when when she told me that story that day, it was like fuck. <laughs> people don't people don't hear this. No. Right? Like, it just doesn't no, get don't. out there enough, right? I, I no. know of one other show that features people sometimes. That's it. In, in the entire podcast world, I know of one mm. other show that does it. I'm sure there's others out there. And, and sorry if I'm not giving you credit, guys, if you, if you hear this. But, <laughs> um, it's a story that doesn't get told enough. So I, I, I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate it. And, and more than that, we've had people on most recently, Kyra, um, who her son was it son is the one that suffers Mm -hmm. for her she has nobody else to talk to she just doesn't so for her the show is like a a, a weekly reminder that she's not alone right she's she's not the only conscripted soldier in the battle with addiction right yeah so yeah yeah yeah. um so these episodes this isn't even a family friday this is this is the monday but it's i really appreciate it when we hear stories like yours Mm. yeah 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 happy to do it yeah Mm -hmm. It's very um, cool how much I actually get to talk about Sean's story because um, I have clients on almost a daily basis that have some form of connection to recovery, um, yeah. whether they're getting a uh, you know celebration tattoo for their own you know sobriety or they're getting a memorial for someone they lost to addiction you know whatever you know when you're tattooing someone it's very personal obviously and they start sharing stories yeah. and I have you know my little picture of of Sean on my wall too and you know he comes up all the time and it's just a very natural conversation and you know it's just cool to be able to continue sharing that message that he was very passionate about you know kidding kidding. um there's a there's something in the story here where I want to make sure I'm still clear on drug of choice has it changed or is it still the same at this point in the story, 2012? Uh, it was the same. So he actually, um, before he relapsed that October, and he, he'd he have checkpoints with me maybe once or twice a year, and he'd say, you know, I feel like I'm okay to try having a beer. You know, like I think I, I think it, w- it would make me more like comfortable socially. I think we could get out more and do fun things that you probably want to do. And and we have this conversation. Right there. Totally, right? <laughs> and that's why I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful for that first relapse for this reason Fair because enough. I knew yeah, what these yeah. conversations meant and where his head was at. Because by the time he's asking, he's already made up his mind that that's what he's going to do as long as he gets my yeah. permission, right? So I knew he was looking for permission. And so every one of those conversations, I would say, hey, look, like, you're a grown man. I'm not mommy. Like, you don't need my permission. But here's all the things that you could lose for the sake of a beer, yeah. right? Like, who cares if you, if like, if you don't go out and feel part of a, a drunk crowd, what do I care? Like, <laughs> we don't need to go be yeah. part of that, you know? Like, it's, we can find other things, absolutely, that we can do sober. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, golf for him being one of those, for sure. And, but he'd have those checkpoints and that October, 2019, we were out for brunch and, uh, there were some heavier things on his mind. Again, I think there was a brain injury too, but there were some heavier things kind of building up for him. And, uh, he was having that conversation again with me. And at this point, I will say I was starting to get worn down a little bit by everything, um, from the injuries and the recovery and, just never, like I said, doing my own self-care, really. Um, 
so he was asking permission again and I said the same thing and uh I said the the difference with this conversation was if you're really going to do it I want you first so first of all this was a Saturday morning I said you're not doing it this weekend <laughs> you're you're going to give it at least a week cuz if this is an impulse thing you know if you really feel you can handle it and you feel you're recovered which I did not feel was the case yeah. Um, then, you know, you're going to think about it carefully. And I said, I'm not going to do it with you. I'm going to be your eyes and ears. And, um, if you struggle, I'm going to call you on it and we'll, you know, figure it out if you're going to do this. I don't support it, but if you're going to do it. And I said, the other thing too, is you're going to call your sister who had gone briefly through treatment as well. Um, and had since started drinking again with her husband. And I said, you're going to call her. You're going to see how she feels about drinking again. And then you're going to call her husband. <laughs> And you ask him how he feels about her drinking. And he called his sister. He never called the husband. <laughs> and uh, I have, you know, some, some details of how that conversation went. Um, and uh, he made the choice then to, to try drinking. And uh, at first, you know, he, he did do okay. He stuck with his rules for himself for about a week. <laughs> And then I started noticing it was no longer just the one or two days a week that he was talking about. It was no longer just one or two beer. Um, it was no longer just at home. You know, he, he would go out and, and drink way more than he should have. Um, so all of his boundaries were slipping very quickly. And me being eyes and ears, you know, I was calling him on it. And uh, he wasn't uh, very receptive to that at that point already. And... Um, uh, I ended up having kind of my own breakdown and kind of going, well, fuck it, whatever. Then I guess I'm drinking too. And um, so that was not helpful on my part whatsoever. But at that point, I didn't realize actually he was already back into Coke as well. So I didn't okay. realize that right away. Um, but he was already spinning. And so from there, it was just a shit show. <laughs> and then I realized like, okay, I'm back to eyes and ears, back to not doing this. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You got to, you know, get this. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it was uh, very quickly downhill from there. Um, and then, like I said, he went back into treatment, started thriving, started making friends. And uh, it was June that he decided to uh, leave treatment. Um and uh, wanted to move back in and wanted to save his business and everything. And I said, you know, we said a year. Like, we said we'd, we'd give this a year of you focusing on treatment, me focusing on my own self-care and recovery and dealing with some stuff. And uh, I can't really, like, I think you're leaving way too soon. I don't think you're there yet. I'm not there yet. Um, this is not no to our marriage. This is no to leaving treatment and coming home. I can't allow that. I, I just can't. And, um, he was then pretty insistent that him and this roommate were going to find another place, uh, to still leave treatment. And so I said, well, why don't I find a place? You guys take our two bedroom. Cause at least I figured that way I can I know where he is, you know, I have access yeah, and yeah, anything yeah. happens. And we were actually trying to sell our place at the time. So it was actually my realtor that ended up calling me one day and going, Hey, um, it's not looking too good in there. Like it's, uh, you know, something's, something's up there. And he knew that Sean was in treatment and stuff. So I think he was just concerned about maybe a relapse having happened. And sure enough, it had. And, um, Sean did 
tell me that um, a few days later. So, of course, when I asked him about how the house was showing, he was very like, oh, no, no, we just, you know, this and this broke, but it's not a big deal. I'm fixing it this weekend. Uh, he ends up breaking his shoulder at work. Um, so, again, you're stuck at home with an injury, but this time I'm not there, you know. So uh, he's dealing with all of his fresh recovery stuff and the relapse still on his mind and me not being home for the first time in, in a decade and, and again, not being able to take anything. And, um, when I saw him with his, like the sling on and his cast and everything, he was saying, Oh, you know, once, once I get back on track, once I'm healed up and everything, it'll get better. And I said, Sean, you know, how many times does this have to happen in your life before you realize that it's not, Oh, when I'm better, when I'm healthy, when I'm this, when I can work again, you have to find a way to be consistent and happy or at least content in, in any circumstance. You can't be relying on when that better day comes along. You have to build your storm shelter before the storm hits. You know, you don't do it when you're in the middle of it. And, um, Mm -hmm. so he actually did really take that to heart and he, he started connecting with the recovery group again and everything. So that was really good. But, uh, I didn't realize during that conversation, the relapse had already happened and, um, yeah. And it was less than a week after that, that he ended up overdosing. So he overdosed on cocaine. Uh, there was fentanyl in it. Um, it was laced. So it was laced. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, there was a lot of other stuff in his system that he didn't normally use. So there's part of me that thought, you know, was this intentional? Um, Did he take, you know, things into his own hands? Um, Was certainly a thought. But, uh, you know, I I don't know. It could have just been laced. It could have been intentional. I'm not sure. (sighs) That must be horrible. Um, Are you okay taking us through the day? Yeah. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. yeah, I was, uh, it was the day after he actually told me he had relapsed. Um, yeah. And so I actually reached out to this roommate of his. He's a younger guy. It was, I think, his first time through treatment. And I just reached out to him and said, hey, I get what you're going through with Sean right now. I don't want you to stumble. Um, I am here. Like, if you need anything, you know, if he needs anything, like, I just, I have to hold a boundary unfortunately, but I am here if you need help. Like, don't you stumble as well, right? Not realizing they had relapsed together. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so we're me- actually messaging and uh, partway through the message, he goes, uh, I can't find Sean. And I said, what do you mean? I thought you were in the living room together. He said, no, I'm in my room, but Sean's gone. I said, okay, well, go see if the truck's there. Like, did he leave? And he goes outside, he says, the truck's there. And he comes back in, I guess, because the next message I got was, uh, um, he said, dude, I think he's dead. And I said, what the, like, what are you talking about? And I said, call 911. I'm on my way. And I think I I live about 15 minutes away. And I I just, just, I, I'm just (laughs) speeding over there. And I remember, um, going over the overpass over our highway. And I just, I'm just praying and screaming and whatever, you know, and and just trying to get there fast. And I had this uh, moment in the car on that overpass where I just felt him in the car. Um, So present. And I thought, I I literally, I texted a friend of mine 
because you're not, you're in a, you're in a fog. You're not thinking you're just going crazy. I texted a friend and I think I said, I, um, I said, Sean just died. And it was only based on the fact that I just felt him so strong in the car. It was very strange. And I get to the house and there's ambulances outside and I just run in. There's probably 10 paramedics in there, fire, firefighters, paramedics. He's on the floor. They're working on him for probably a good half hour at least. Um, and so I just, I had my hand on his leg and, you know, we're just watching them work on him. But I kind of felt like he was gone already. Um, but you don't obviously want to believe that either so you're waiting for a miracle and um it's the, it's such a surreal thing when they uh, you know they they called it they turned the machines off and they said we're so sorry your husband has passed and it just then it just is a surreal surreal feeling like everything just hits you at once and you just you you're just obviously beside yourself and um they actually let me kind of just lie there with him for a very long time. I just, you know, I think I was on the floor with him for like forever, forever. And, uh, yeah, then his family came. I remember his dad coming through the back door. I didn't look up to, you know, I was just kind of huddled in with Sean. I, I kind of had his arm wrapped around me. Um, yeah. and I just heard his dad come in and, you know, he was, he's a very polite guy and he comes in and introduces himself to one of the paramedics. And I could just hear the moment I think he saw Sean on the floor and, and his voice cracking. And that to me was just, that was that last little crack, you know, <laughs> that that's what kind of broke yeah. the camel's back there. But um, yeah, it was very, very, very surreal, very surreal. Still is, honestly. Like, the, I think one of the reasons I'm okay talking about it is because a lot of that stuff is still numb for me. Um, okay. You know, you go through your rage and all of that, but a lot of it's numb. It's just like an old life, you know? It's uh, I can't imagine. I very can't strange. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. Huh. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I thought I was going to get through a fucking memorial montage. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, so afterwards, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to go from here. Again, this is new territory for me for Memorial Monday, right? It's not how we typically do them. And I'm not used <laughs> to having to speak after somebody shares like that. So, right. <laughs> um, what, uh, you and the family are you still close? You're still close. I know after these things, sometimes there's hard feelings and all that. And if you're not yeah. talking about this, that's that's totally. Yeah. Um. It, yeah, that's been a really tricky, tricky situation for sure. Um, I. I mean, I'll, I'll say this before before I get into it. Um, obviously everyone has grief in very different ways. They have their own process. There is a lot of anger involved. Um, everybody wants to blame someone, you know, um, cause you're just trying to make sense of it. It's not trying to point the finger. It's just trying to make sense. And, uh, and you just, you're, you're in such a brain fog. You just, nothing makes sense. You, you're not in control of your emotions. You're not in control of anything. And so with the family, um, 
I felt, and I, I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I'm not going to, I don't know if this is fair or not, but from my perspective at the time, I felt very outnumbered. I felt very alone. Um, I felt like decisions that were mine were not mine. Um, I felt there was a lot of things that were not communicated to me that should have been. Um, and I very much felt that I was being blamed. Um, there's one family member in particular that, uh, feels that way. And, uh, will not speak to me and uh, it got very ugly at times. And I just, at some point had to say, look, um, I'm trying to grieve too. Like I, I can't, yeah. I can't have this in my life. I can't get these hateful messages <laughs> once a month, if not more, you know, I, yeah. I can't have this yeah, stress and, you know, and I very much felt like you guys all have each other, you know, my person's gone. And, um, they were very upset about there having been that separation when he went into treatment, when I wouldn't let him move home, they were like, this is the worst time to divorce him and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like we're, yeah. you know, these are boundaries that have to be held. That's where I enabled in the past was not holding those boundaries. You know, it was not like that at all. And, um, I very much understand that that's not how it looked to them, you know, that they were in pain, of course, you know, so I, I hold nothing against anyone, including that one that won't speak to me. But, um, over, over time now, I mean, recently, actually they did lose, uh, Sean's dad. He passed away recently in January. And when he had his heart attack, I did get a phone call from my mother-in-law and we've reconnected since. And it's just been awesome talking to them now. Um, yeah. yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah. yeah, I think through losing, I mean, they've had a lot of loss in these last three years. And I, I think losing her husband, um, you know, I think maybe we relate a little differently, um, not necessarily yeah. more, but just different. And so it's nice to be able to be there for them. And, you know, I got to go to the funeral and, and see them and see my nieces and nephew. And, you know, so that was yeah. very healing for sure. And, and just being in a different <laughs> space, right? So. But uh, it's, you know, impossible for them to, to get over the losses they've had. I mean, I, I, yeah. how, how do you do that? How? I, you know. It sounds like you're, um, how? you're a pretty uh, understanding and empathetic person from, from what I can gather. So, you know, it's um, mm-hmm. good on you for that. It's like, I can imagine that's, that can be hard at times. Right? I think that's, <laughs> uh, I think that's probably Sean having rubbed off on me. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good, good. It's, you know, for me, in in my whole grief process, um, a lot of it just came back to like, what would Sean want to see me do right now? You know, what would he, what would make him proud? And I had this one dream that changed everything for me. And he was in the dream and in it, he was actually very ill and he was dying in the dream. And it was very real. And, And when I woke up, it was again, that feeling that he was in the room. And I thought, you know, if I see him again, one day, like, I don't know what the hell happens to us after <laughs> this life, but yeah, if yeah, there's yeah. even a chance that I see him again, I don't want to see that heartbroken look on his face that, you know, him realizing that I didn't have a life after he died. You know, it, it just it just clicked for me in my brain. I just went, I want to get there. And when I see him, I want to be like, hey, I did this and I knocked these things off your bucket list and I lived, you know, and. <laughs> So like, I never thought I'd be riding a motorcycle and now I have a fucking Harley, you know, cause that was on his bucket list, oh, wow. like, you know, so, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it just gave yeah. me again, that purpose of like, 
this life is temporary and maybe I'll see him. And then I want to be like, Hey man, like I did it, you know? And that changed everything for me. That changed everything. I love that. I, 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 I do. I love that. Yeah. Um, was ordered to do this in <laughs> what are you doing these days what's uh where's life taking you are you involved in any advocacy are you what are you doing what's going on um my life is completely different <laughs> okay literally okay. the only thing that's the same as my dog which i think maybe is part of that like um treating that as like an old life and having a totally separate one now where I'm not replacing anything. I'm not replacing him. You know, it's, it's just new. Mm -hmm. So a huge career change. I I tattoo now, which was always my dream. Um, that happened after uh, losing him. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in very different circles for sure. I'm, I I will, I'm actually very, I'm very happy. I feel like I'm much more myself. I'm taking my self care much more seriously. I've been seeing the same grief counselor. I started seeing two months after he passed, you know, I still see her and, um, you know, just, you know, even in, in great times when I don't really need a session just to check in, just to maintain again, that storm shelter, you know, um, good friends, you know, um, great partner, And, uh, you know, he's someone that many, many times has had me cry on his shoulder about Sean, you know, and he's just, Hey, I don't care. Like, I'm not threatened. I'm not like I'm here. And he lets me talk his ear off about Sean, you know, and, um, he passed on August 6th and I got into this kind of by accident, this rhythm of every six of the month, I post some Sean memories on my Instagram, okay. um, just yeah. to share some photos and, you know, kind of keep his memory going. And, and he always is the first to like those or comment on it, you know, and <laughs> oh, so it's very yeah. sweet. Yeah. He's yeah. But you know, that's, he got, that's a, that's a rare breed of man. That is it's right very there. rare. So, it is. Especially because he has to compete with a memories. That's tough. Absolutely. Right? You know? yeah. 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 Which I'm sure gets hard to always hear, you know, about, this great love I had, you know, <laughs> like, I'm sure that's not, yeah. not an easy thing. And, <laughs> and especially in the beginning, um, you know, when, when we were first getting together, I, I said, you know, I, I can't, I can't date. Like, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm going to ruin yeah. this. Like I'm angry as fuck. Like I just, I can't, I'm numbing right now. I'm, I'm not in a place where I'm going to be good for you. And he's like, we can do it together. Da, da, da. You know, I'm just like, dude, you don't, you don't realize like, and the poor guy, like there were many, many just random waves of rage that came out at him. And that wasn't fair, you know? And they, like I said, they were not really, they didn't feel like they were within my control. Um, so that was part of the reason of continuing counseling as well was to, you know, deal with those long-term things, you know, once you're kind of functioning again. So, um, in terms of involvement, I, I will say I got quite bitter about recovery, um, for a long time there. I just kind of felt, you know, if, if all my efforts with Sean, uh, if this is still how it ended, you know, with a guy like him, like really (laughs) after 11 years sober, what the fuck's the point? Why would I get involved? Why would I invest more time? You know, nobody listens. They're all going to relapse. You know, I got really bitter and it it got ugly in my head about treatment for sure. And, um, the cool thing was though, that the people that reached out to me after Sean passed, uh, and hearing their stories of how that inspired them to keep going, 
similar to how I felt like, hey, buddy, I want to see you and tell you all the things I did in my life. They kind of had that same feeling of I want to make him proud. I want to get clean. I don't want to end up disappointing him, you know, and and, yeah. Yeah. and ruining his legacy in some ways is what one of them said, you know. And so I, I just thought that was really cool. Then it just, again, kind of was one of those aha moments of this is who Sean was. If he losing his life, if that meant helping even one person get sober, uh, he, he absolutely would be thrilled with that. You know, that would have been his choice of how to go then, you know? Um, I really, I wholeheartedly believe that that is what he was about. So those things definitely were encouraging. So I do speak to people in recovery now. Um, I'm not involved in anything. My schedule is quite crazy. So it's really more (laughs) kind of just, uh, naturally just checking in with people um just conversation okay. just friendships and uh i have one friend who's actually dating his best friend for years now and he's still very much in recovery in the journey and and relapsing a lot and um she and i talk a lot about what she's learning with Al-Anon and her counselors and all these things yeah. and um so those those conversations can be nice and they can yeah. also be very like the other day I had to shut it down and I said, I honestly, I can't go there today. Like it's too heavy. I'm trying to be positive, you you know? Yeah. 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 And she understands that. And, you know, we just, we're very real with each other and you have those friends that you can talk to like that. And then certainly talking to clients, like I I was saying, it's almost a daily conversation. So that feels almost like they're in your counseling chair and you're the counselor, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine it does, right? Yeah. 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 It would. Yeah. Yeah, It's very, very cool. Bartender without the booze, all that. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I have like recovery tattoos and stuff. When, when we hit the 10 year mark, we got matching tattoos for that. And so people ask about that all the time. And, and, uh, you know, so it's just cool to be able to, to share that so regularly and the fact yeah. that it's in my professional setting where I get to just hone in on the tattoo and focus on that makes it very easy to listen and then to to have that conversation. Almost, yeah, I can imagine that'd be cathartic in its own way too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not about you, right? It's about them and, yeah. and their yeah. process. And yeah. so it's much easier to have that conversation, yeah. Oh, I know. I, I basically, that's what I do six days a week, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You I, know I it. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, So if you had to take away, if you, if you had one statement, say two sentences, a statement, whatever, a statement to, mm-hmm. to say to somebody who is, you know, a conscripted soldier the way you were, what, what would you tell them? Uh, like someone in my position or someone in more like Sean's? Yeah, somebody, somebody, yeah, the, the partner, a spouse or a loved position. one of somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. your position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess if I could sum up that post you shared <laughs> from 2020 that I wrote. If That's I could, a long post. So you got, could, I said a yeah, couple sentences. Right? If I could right. sum that up, no that, that would be either. it. No <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess it comes to that whole thing of you put your own oxygen mask on first. You're no good to anybody if you're not healthy. So uh, me being a natural mm-hmm. enabler, that is that is one I always have to yeah. tell. You have to make sure you're good. And healthy and and oh, yeah, yeah. And the rest of the things can come, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that. Um, you've listened to at least one or two episodes by now, so yeah. you know that we uh, we do our daily gratitudes, and it's well, it's time for my favorite. Ah, it's time for my favorite part of the show, and that's the daily gratitudes. 
The Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by the Nate D Foundation, where their goal is to raise funds to allow individuals to attend trauma therapy and treatment. Learn more at nate-d.ca. If you could share a few with us. Yeah. I do this daily, actually, yeah. too. I have a little journal I do in the morning. Do you? I oh, do. great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, <laughs> what? Now, you know what? I'm going to interrupt your I'm going to pause that real quick, and I'm going to <laughs> tell you the story about the gratitudes. And I, I like doing this every so often because I never know when new listeners are coming onto the show. Yeah. And it's a really important part of where, where they come from. So um, my mother, who is has everything to do with the show, she uh, she's the one that inspired me to, to create a podcast in the first place. She's The You Are Loved message comes from her that's like so much. The gratitudes. She picked me up. Um, my first kick at the can for, for recovery. And on the way back, I, like, I was really bad shape. I was homeless. I was, I was just a fucking train wreck of a human being. And I hadn't talked to her in four years. Yeah. And I called her up and said, I'm done, right? Sorry. <laughs> One day I'll get through this fucking story without crying. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> so anyway, I, um, she comes in, she picks me up in town with a couple friends. And, and we're driving back out to, to Moose Jaw. And she, we, just, we stopped and got this burger. This, you know, Whopper or whatever. And at the time, like things had gotten really bad. Like a Whopper was like bougie, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, it was a pretty big deal. And I'm like, you know, stay away, you know, and eating this thing on the way back. And everything, like my whole life is changing in the most crazy way. And, and for the good, but it's still change is change. And it was, it was a lot to accept what was happening. And she's like, and daily gratitudes is a thing, you know, you got to do these daily gratitudes. You write them down every day and they're great. And, they're, and I remember thinking, fuck off. Right. Like, I just like, can I just like, yep. can I be grateful for the burger and just leave it at that right now? Like, every, you know, this is a lot to take in today, you know, or tonight. And then, so whatever, we get back and she, I, I just remember, I would never say fuck off to her, but I, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> and two relapses later, she basically hits me with this journal and says, you're doing them. I've had enough. Right. You know, and mm -hmm. because I come in from relapse and she fucking arm, arms open and, you know, this is somebody I hadn't even bothered to call for four years who was just, yeah. you know, right. So I started a blog and in that blog it, at the time, it's kind of the beginnings of the show, but Daily Gratitudes came out. So the I think episode one of the show here, I, I'm almost sure there was, I've, I've taken those stupid stories down since, but Daily Gratitudes have been a part of it ever since. So that's, that's why we do them every day in the show and that's, that's where they come from. So when you say you have the journal, cool. it just... Reminds me of all of that, right? And you know, my are, my right? journal, I was kind of the same. I was like, "Screw this!" Like, I like, what am I grateful for? You know, and a lot of <laughs> entries were just, "I'm grateful for coffee." I don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> sometimes that's what it is, <laughs> though, right? You know, it's, and, and quite often people sit here with these big, thinking up big, grandiose things to be right? thankful for, and it's like, no, man. Like, no, sometimes it's... you're just you're thankful for a coffee, right? Yeah. And that's okay. That's Absolutely, because okay. you're still concentrating on the good shit, right? And well, that's hey, the cool thing. That can only lead to more good shit. Right? That's you the know? cool yeah, thing. If you yeah. wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're in a hell of a mood already it forces you to think of at least those three little lines of things you're grateful for it forces you yeah. and it does yeah. rewire your brain i think you know to just absolutely it does yeah, there's, there's plenty of research to back that up too right yeah so, absolutely okay yeah back from the sidebar <laughs> some gratitudes well, I am very grateful for coffee all the time, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I we have a stamp now. For the we just <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> it 
would help because I can't read my handwriting. So that staff would be good. Um, That's terrifying as a tattoo artist. Yeah. <laughs> I think I need you to be a little more concerned with the detail, Leo. Right? Like, right? Yeah, yeah. You I see my handwriting, you never want me to tattoo you, right? Yeah. Well, okay, it's so yeah, funny. Yeah. My consult notes are a mess, and then the tattoo is clean. You know, but it's like, <laughs> you wouldn't think so. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to stop interrupting you now. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, having just spent this time talking about Sean, I am absolutely grateful for every day that we had um good and bad very grateful it it shaped everything that's in my life now um so grateful for my people in my life the support they've been and just just unreal the people that rally around you is just beautiful um you know, I'm super grateful for my dog, man. <laughs> my, my little Frenchy Bruce, Brucey Bruce. Yeah. He's, he's been, uh, oh man, if I didn't have that dog, holy shit. Just even sometimes just to get you out of your house. On, you know? right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 He's a character. So he makes me laugh and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, and for the final gratitude it is to you the listeners guys keep doing what you're doing please it is working it's working really well we're growing every day mm-hmm. liking sharing talking about the show to, you know sharing it with somebody that needs it an episode like this if there's somebody who is fighting along somebody who is in addiction let's have a listen right this is a, these are really important things right yeah. um, every time you do the important things you are getting me a little bit closer to living my best life my best life is to make a humble living spreading the message the message is this if you're in active addiction right now Today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. Call into detox. Go to a meeting. Do whatever the hell it is you need to do because it is so much better on the other side. And if you are the loved one of somebody suffering an addiction, you've just taken the time to listen to this story and we're all very grateful for that. If you could just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing to bring them back. Been believing the worst that I can. Everything I know is burning the ash. No one to hold out a third in the past. Everyone telling me I need to relax. What do you do when your world starts to crash? Everything you picture starts fading to the past. I try to stay away, but I can't. Without you in my life, never thought you would ask. Don't know what I'm thinking, just wanna start drinking. No more the world and drown out opinions. I'm not the only one that wants to do it, but I'm the only one with problems. Can't seem to fit it. Pressure's too deep, losing my sleep. Feeling alone with no one of me. Everywhere that I go reminds me of you. No where to turn without a kaboom everything that i did i would do different seems like it's too late but i do want to fix it i can't picture myself with anyone else and i can't let you go with conjugal visits i know that you're hurting don't cry i know you can't trust me my word is now lie my addict is surfacing the serpent is hurt is cause i let him inside wanna go back to when we first met felt complete even though i was a wreck broken inside but you helped me forget gave me the strength to face my regrets can't go away cause i know where it'll end don't want you to move on and call me your friend don't want someone else waking up in your bed i just can't seem to get you out of my head
don't let my fears really be true Lord, don't let the enemy send in his troops Trying to break us up, Lord, wake us up I know I've been asleep, hitting the snows I can't imagine you wanting to leave Don't go with someone else, supposed to be me I knew from the moment we met You be the love of my life, that's why I got on one knee Life is crazy, never know I'm always in a storm Shook up like I've been thrown round Get back off the ground, see bit of light Then it's gone, in the darkest The meanest thoughts can't seem to stop Heart and heart sink to the deepest depths They don't stay afloat, sink like a rock Gotta get my head back, this is a setback Gotta keep moving forward, without a step back Gotta build up, lift up, never give up With my fist up, ready to fight and get mad Ding ding in the ring, gotta swing for the win When you're back, I pray you see me get that Wanna connect, I love you to death Can't believe your feelings left, I'm praying it to come back Wanna go back to when we first met Felt complete even though I was a wreck Broken inside but you helped me forget Gave me the strength to face my regrets Can't go away cause I know where it'll end Don't want you to move on and call me your friend Don't want someone else waking up in your bed I just can't seem to get you out of my head